Good morning. It's morning here. It's a foggy morning before I head off to Australia for the week. So, uh, yeah, any of those listening in Australia, you're particularly concerned with today's episode is sponsored by Decibel Wines, because now you can find them in Australia, (laughs) but also because we have an Aussie on the podcast today. We got Matt Kirby from Clearview uh, as part of this progressive series. Uh, Matt certainly made uh, his share of uh, progressive wines over over the years, particularly when he was in Australia, uh, which we've tasted from time to time at some tastings. But today we mostly talk about uh, yeah, his career, but also what's happening uh, these days in that special place out in Tianwanga at Clearview Estate. So... Uh, I won't keep you too long. I'll just say uh, please go to decibelwines.com, use the promo code DBPODCAST and get 10% off your order. And uh, yeah, see you in Australia. Let's talk to Matt Kirby. Seems like you're enjoying Hawke's Bay life of uh, a surfer and a winemaker. Yeah. yeah, we've loved moving to Hawke's Bay. I think I've said it in a few um, different bits and bobs that we've done with media over the last couple of years. Moving to Hawke's Bay has been you know, great for our family. We uh, love everything that the bay offers, which is the beach and um, the varieties that we can make in Hawke's Bay. Um, Sarah, my wife, her family is originally from here, so that was the the real crux of us wanting to move back. We've got, we had at that point one young boy, um, we've now got two, and so being close to family was a was a big plus as well. But we'll get onto the winemaking bits later on. But um, but you moved here early 15, 2015? Yeah, yeah, um, Australia Day twenty fifteen. So that's the thirtieth or something. Twenty ninth, we got over here. Yeah. Sorry. We used to celebrate Australia Day every year at my family's pub because for, it must have been <laughs> It's 10, a good trading day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We sold a lot of this. Uh, we, for about 10 years running, we had, an, an, it was two or three different ones, but we had an Australian women working there just mm-hmm. as servers. And uh, the first time they did it, like place exploded we had mm-hmm. we had like frog races or something on the and yeah. the dining room floor like they cleared mm-hmm. out the dining room and obviously we had like foster's kegs and and then the, i think they had to go to the consulate in washington dc and get like a case of victoria bitter or vb it's very exciting and the very like, best we call that they were like mm-hmm. you know and we we marked it up to mm-hmm. include the freight to you mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. uh and we did it for years and they did pies and everything and then because we also used to sponsor a Aussie Rules football team. Yeah. So, which is, you know, they're all over America, just yep. in different cities. Yep. And yep. Uh, so when I first moved to New Zealand, I knew more about Aussie Rules than probably rugby. Yeah. <laughs> which is like, now I watch Aussie Rules. I'm like, I don't think I actually ever knew what was going on. No, I couldn't believe I was working in Sonoma and we went across to Napa, I think it was 2011. 
to watch the grand final and I couldn't believe how many just non-Australians were there. It was it was an event. It was they must AFL must have some sort of hook in there as well because there was lots of people. There's you know lots of Americans. I think they have those clubs and it seemed like because they they would do their drink ups at the bar every they would do it Saturday yeah. afternoons and yeah. it seemed like on both teams whether it was Philly playing Baltimore or Philly playing Buffalo or something yeah. that they would have one or two Aussies as the anchors. <laughs> you know that they were like built the team around and yep. teach the guys how to yep. play it and yep. uh and that's a good way to spread the word you know it's kind of like the nba's done all over the world you know well, i think they tried to do that in new zealand but i don't think it's worked too well there are some teams around the place but uh, i do think just rugby's got, so got it done <laughs> it's a bit uh it's a bit yeah pretty yeah, much a, a good result in the rugby last night i think but, uh, uh yeah okay. <laughs> Well, let's get on to that then. You're born in Australia, because mm-hmm. I just asked you. And what part of Australia? Because that was a town I never heard of. Gosford. So that's um, Central Coast, New South Wales, about an hour from the Hunter Valley. Uh, so that's north of Sydney? But, yeah, north yeah, of Sydney. Yeah. Um, probably, well, the Hunter's directly inland from um, Newcastle, and Gosford's exactly halfway between Sydney and Newcastle. And uh, you were a chef? Yeah, 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 qualified chef. Um, I did. So I had a checkered um, history with with study. I went straight from high school and did two years of marine biology, um, and I didn't quite finish that. There seemed to be a lot of marine biologists in inverted commas floating around Townsville doing jobs such as taxi driving and I <laughs> looked into it a little bit further and decided that the employment prospects probably weren't there. Went back to Melbourne um, to see mum and enrolled, I think it was about 2002 or three into winemaking and viticulture at La Trobe and started, um, I started cooking in a kitchen sure. as a part-time job yep. and then I just managed to convince asset training that I knew something about cooking and they did an on-the-job apprenticeship for me, which only took a year and a half. So, yeah, I was qualified right through my, um, well, halfway through my university degree, which was quite cool. But did you have, you know, did you grow up in that food and wine culture or it just kind of stuck to you? I was bartending for a long time and then I got a bit sick of bartending and I always thought the chefs had it going on, so I decided that that would be next. I was like the exact opposite. <laughs> I worked at the kitchen when I was a kid, and I was like, I got to get out to the front. In fact, I got to start managing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it was a perfect move. I'm yeah, just saying that's, yeah, what, that's what happened. <laughs> and then, uh, but yeah, you started getting into wines, and this would have been tail end of the first Aussie boom of wines, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my first, and this is. Would probably a bit of a cliche, but 98s coming out of South Australia and Victoria to a lesser extent, and then the 99s, which you know have probably stood the test of time a little better, um, really sort of grabbed me. And then um, studying in 02, we ended up taking over as you know, uni students, we were you know, full of it. We thought we, we heard of this five hectare vineyard in the Yarra Valley that somebody was looking to to have managed for free and you could take the fruit and that sort of stuff. So we embarked on that journey, me and two of my good friends, both called Andrew. Um, and we grew pretty crap grapes for the first year. <laughs> yeah. We had a real issue with Downey, which was great, very controllable. 
Um, and then the second year, we started to get, you know, the hang of it a little bit more, you know, broke less things, broke less posts, broke the spray less, oft- less often. Um, and we probably got our, our timings down a little bit better and we ended up with some quite good fruit in Oh, Did you have four? some na- neighbors there to help you a bit? And no, get your timings down no, or no? No. <laughs> okay. We um yeah we just we were you know we were studying. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> I, I, I only ask you know I, all of those students yeah. that come through now. Yeah, absolutely. We're them. <laughs> no, but I'm just, I, I've seen like you know sort of young owners around here. At least they've had like I don't know a villa vineyard next to them that was like listen you know it's yeah. in all our benefit if you get your timing right but you guys didn't have that no we were like. down the end of a lane and there was nothing else around us um you know that's why we got it wrong and then we started to probably talk to more people after that and, and what were we what was growing there cab sav so oh. that should be fairly bulletproof and you know works well in the yarra it's probably not what the yarra is doing most famously at the moment unfortunately because, I, yeah, there probably should be something that they're hanging their hat on. But. Shiraz mostly? or mm, The Yarra's, well, Chardonnay in the Yarra, definitely. Shiraz, sure. But to a lesser extent, Pinot. Um, oh, okay, that's right. And then to an even far lesser extent, Nebbiolo. Um, lots of people are making quite a name for themselves doing that. It's where all the, because it's really close to Melbourne, so it's where all the, the cool trendy, kids come yeah, and. Yeah, yeah. Come and congregate, which is awesome. It means that you get the very best and some of the very worst out of the same region. Which, yeah. yeah. But there's a market there too. If you make something interesting and strange but good, it'll sell. There's Maybe. a market for everything weird and wacky in Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was just there uh, a couple months ago, and I I got a sense of that. <laughs> well, I think I told you when I was there, I drank a lot of Grenache when I was in Australia, yeah. and I'm going back in a couple of weeks. And yeah. Um, I don't know what to look out for, but I just talked to Psalms and people, and but I I love it. No, I just talked to, um, uh, and I don't think I'm talking out of school here, but I talked to Guillaume, who hmm. uh, he's been on this podcast many yeah. years ago. He uh, he was complaining about oh, I fucking hate Grenache, and you know, oh really? And he was just he's he, oh. and and I could see it. You know, it certainly can be polarizing. I think as a young wine drinker, it was definitely one of those wines like. Or I didn't know if I if you didn't know what you were grabbing quality wise, and if you went for, you know, maybe people people treat it now as warm climate climate Pinot Noir. Yeah. So if, if you're taking it from that point of view, then oh, it can make some amazing wines, and it and it can felt, re- retain right. natural acid in Australia, which is, you know, we'll get to Hawke's Bay later, but you know that is a strong driver for us to have left Australia is the abundant and constant necessity to add everything. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly saw some of that in California, though. There's some places that are better than others for that. But, mm. yeah, there's a bit of a formula there. Yeah. Add water, add acid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it works. There's some nice wines, but, like, I reckon you can taste them in there, too, you know. Yeah, I'd, I'd come up and di- if I can taste water and acid additions, I don't know. I don't got know about so water, used, but got so used to them. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tartaric does have a heartage to it, but or maybe I shouldn't say I can taste them, but I can. I think I really appreciate that you can taste when it hasn't been added. Yeah. You know that that natural, which is where you know you see a lot of times you bring in a New Zealand wine and they go, "Wow, this is lively and balanced and, and mm-hmm. everything like that," and it's probably because 
It's natural acidity, you know. We're in a rare area like that. But anyway, rewinding. You're yeah. out of uni. Yeah. You, you go work a real harvest somewhere to start off? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> the stories I'd tell about that. My, I was working quite a lot during my uni degree. Um, I got fairly good grades, um, but I did a lot of my study between the chefing hours of 2.30 and 5.30. Sure. Um, so... <sighs> Yes, no, I didn't do a real harvest anywhere. We, we worked on this little vineyard and got through to fourth year where I did my first harvest at, at um, Stella Bella in Margaret River, which mm-hmm. was, you know, a lovely place to go and do first harvest. Um, Margaret's was a, it's a beautiful, beautiful spot. It sits out there with sort of three coastlines, which is quite a, a unique situation for it to sit in. Um um, Dan mentioned before I do like to surf a bit, and during I finally convinced them to put me on night shift. Uh, I'm right here. You don't have to yeah. refer to me in the night, third person. <laughs> well, I feel like there's somebody else here as well. There are, yeah, it's sure. right in front of me. Sure. <laughs> um, so I finally convinced the, these guys to put me on night shift because then I could finish work at half past five, five o'clock, and go straight for a surf and then go to bed. Sure. Seemed perfect to me, except I did my ACL the second day of this night shift surfing. And so I hobbled around. I didn't tell anybody and I managed to get through vintage um, before I went back and got it looked at because these guys were just so <laughs> okay but you know, don't injure yourself. And, yeah, you know, yeah, they were yeah. quite old school Australian. They were quite hard sort of gents to work for, one in particular. Um, and so, yeah, couldn't, couldn't say a word and just had to quietly go about my very painstaking business of going up and down ladders to do pump overs. <laughs> It was all right in a straight line, just no movements either side. Yeah, no, yeah, no lateral <laughs> movements. No uh, company basketball mm. game. Mm. Um, and what, that was which winery again? That was Stella Bella. Stella Bella. And we can yeah, keep going. From there, went back and had to more fourth-year stuff. Um, then went to Sonoma County to Dry Creek Vineyards, which was quite a, yeah. Sure. It's big. Yeah, I know that. We, yeah, we um, they only took on two international interns and they didn't have any lights in the winery. So we would have to get all – we had 2,000 tonnes with six people in a seven till seven sort of regime. It was quite busy. Um, lots of mistakes were made. Lots of mistakes were fixed. Um yeah. How, do mean, how do you mean? Just because well, it was crowded or something? Or? No, we're just so busy. Yeah, like you, yeah, you'd yeah. get a wad of selenotes, you know, two centimetres thick and you'd, you'd have to try and get them done in, you know, two hours. So, and it's legal to add water there. So, I mean, my biggest mistake was quite funny. Um, I put the water, the flow meter on a hose, stuck it in the top of the tank. So it's going over the top, went and did a whole bunch of additions, forgot about it completely. Oh. Right, came back. I was meant to add 800 gallons of water. I'd added 4,500 gallons to this tank. And I just started laughing. And I looked in the top of the tank and it just looked clear like water. And I was like, hang on. So I just ran over and got a pneumatic air pump and sucked it all off the top. And then I mixed the tank and I had to add four more hundred gallons of water. Well, it's a good thing water's not at a premium in California. <laughs> it is now. It wasn't in 2011, we're having a wet year. In 2009, that was actually, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was actually there in 11, and I think 10 and 11 were. 
cooler, wetter years mm-hmm. there. But uh, yeah, I, I think um, it's good to work in California. There's a bit of a different mindset there too. I mean, obviously there's some big corporate wineries too, but California was the per- first place I worked where they were like, shit, you're working too hard. Kiwis and Australians, you guys yeah. are just crazy. Like, you know, we stop at dinner time and yeah you know and then we just we just worked during the day you know i'm sure there's there i worked night shift in 20 yeah. 2012 and everything but it was still you know i really like the mentality there you know it was pretty fun and pretty team oriented and everything and um yeah it wasn't and you're making great wines too yeah i'd agree with you everybody did i, I mean it was it was early so it was yeah probably after you were there but people took themselves very seriously that I found around Sonoma County, which was quite cool. I mean, people were very passionate and proud of what they did and, and they weren't afraid to to show that, which was quite cool, really. There's definitely some people with confidence around yeah. there, yeah. you know. And um, talk about having a wine market, you know, right there as you have the state of California with San Francisco right at your back door. Amazing. I mean, you know, there was productions that I worked for and had friends work for that, 90, 95% of their wines never saw the mm-hmm. commercial market. You know, they either went right to restaurants or mostly yep. to wine clubs. It's pretty awesome. It, it is awesome. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you another funny story about while I was in the States. I found out about this this little vineyard called Ghost Horse. Yes, yeah. I know about this. Yep. Go on, go on. So I, I, I heard the story, and it was a million dollars to join this guy's wine club, right? So I got on the phone every day and hassled this guy out, right? Until eventually he let me come and taste it. Is this the guy on his website? He's holding yeah. a barrel above his head. Hell yes, yeah, smoking yeah. stogies on the horse yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I went to a wine tasting with that guy. He's, he a, was... he's a geologist and he made his first wine in 02. I felt like we'd been doing it for the same amount of time. Yeah, so. it's pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he showed up to a, like a, a real just regular wine tasting with like some winemakers, some industry folks. Yeah. Uh, in like a yellow Hummer with a full length leather jacket. Yeah. And he, and he just like pulled away and I was like, okay, that guy's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I insulted him. Like I didn't know who he was. I was just breaking balls like I would normally yeah. do. And he didn't take too kindly to it. <laughs> no, he and was, then somebody showed me their, his website on, on their phone. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's, that all fits. Yeah. $1 million to join it. And you get, what was his name? Phil? No. Anyway, doesn't get, matter. We're you, not going to name names. You get you get the the joy of his company anywhere in the world, and he'll deliver you a dozen wines once a year, and blah blah blah. It's for a million full, bucks, you know, pretty no full one. on. His entry level cab sab was five hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him where his pressings went. Then, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens when you you know it doesn't go all your way? Yeah, he's a confident guy. I think fun. his father was a pretty famous grower or something in the okay. area so i think he was getting good fruit but anyway yeah there's some <laughs> ridiculous sort of millionaire playground type of stuff going on there mm. um which is it's kind of cool to see anyway you know like you walk through and you're like wow this is interesting you know? Mate, it gave kudos to fake it till you make it i'll tell you what absolutely <laughs> how do you think i'm doing it buddy you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we're all in that boat don't we? <laughs> um so couple harvests in states or no just the one so from there um where do we go after that uh i did one in central victoria for plunkett fowls well they're now just called fowls i think plunkett one of the two um and then 
What did we do after that? I went to Maud, actually, um, down in Central Otago, which oh, yeah. was awesome. Dan and SK Deneen, um, they, yeah, they were amazing. To cool wines, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just actually judging in New Zealand with Vanessa, who's their new winemaker. She's awesome, too. I was friends with her in the Clare Valley. Um, yeah, Maud, I mean, that was such a great experience. We all lived upstairs above the winery. Um, I met my um, current, well, my current, my wife. <laughs> She's not listening. She, she won't listen to this. It's okay. Nobody um, listens. Yeah. I met my wife there. It was actually, we talked about AFL things in the States being obscure. I met her at a Cinco de Mayo party in Central Otago. Sure. So there you go. Right. I had a nice market pen mustache drawn on my face because we'd finished work late and that was the best costume we could come up with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Central was, was beautiful. And then we, from Central, um, Sarah and I actually went to Australia and I went back to chefing for six months because Sarah wanted to have a bit of time out. She'd been at Felton Road for about five years and had a great time there, but probably wanted just six months out of the industry. Um, So we did that. And then we decided, right, so this was 2011, right, this is going to be a big year for us. Um, And we worked at Brokenwood in the Hunter Valley. Uh, and then That's they, really famous. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, they made that graveyard Shiraz, and it's sort of like a proving ground for young Australian winemakers. They're Ian Riggs, the the winemaker, and I think he's one of the owners as well. He has a lot to do with that Len Evans tutorial and things like that. Um, anyway, so PJ Shadows was there at that time, and he sent me down to Beechworth to do their stuff down there, which is quite a cool little region. It does can do some good Nebbiolo, but does pretty good. Shiraz and Chardonnay, if you're thinking, you know, that area, think Giaconda. Um, from there, I went to Carrick and Sarah went back to Felton. Um, and then I actually w- was applying and, and got very close to getting the Carrick winemaker's job in 2011, which Francis Hutt um, got over me, which was good for my career because I was pretty fresh but had confidence. Yeah. Um, you have confidence? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, less, that was kind of, part, of part of my question, though, is yeah. when uh, I, I, it sort of applies to, I guess, Hawks Bay and you, mm-hmm. but also when you think you started getting the confidence of like, I could do this, I could be a winemaker. Well, a head 2011, winemaker. apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were, because. No, that was a job I needed to miss, um, which was great because the, the question is, retrospectively, I look back on that time and. You know, I was nowhere near ready for that sort of job because that sort of job, you know, technically you could say I've got the audacity to say that I could make wines for that job, yeah. but they wouldn't be of the standard that you needed to do for that job. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have the authority or you wouldn't have the um, intuition to be able to have impact on the vineyard or to have the confidence not to have impact on the vineyard or have the confidence not to have impact on the wine as well. Yeah. To be able to be... It's a bit of politics that need to be played and you need to come in... I need to learn that, the, yeah. yeah. With the vineyard yep. guys and yep. and whether that's trust or at sometimes being like, no, man, this is what I need, you know? Well, to, to, to be in charge for whatever that means, you know, to, to oversee winemaking and... and you know, some vineyard aspects as well. Yeah, you need to, to be able to listen before you talk. And, and when I was, and that was, what, eight years, seven years ago, I just couldn't do that at that time. You know, you talk first and you made sure people listen to you. Whereas now, 
you know, and you see it around with lots of people, especially in New Zealand, people are always willing to, to listen before they're, they're willing to give their opinion. I, I think that's a really cool trait around Hawke's Bay, especially. Everyone's very open and, and honest with their experiences and what they've learned and what they've seen, you know, throughout whatever, however many years they've been here. But they're always interested in what anybody else has to say as well. Totally. I just um, had that experience two days ago. I went to mm-hmm. look at a new Viognier vineyard. Yeah. You know, it was a, a woman I know who's a good grower, and she, but she, you know, didn't have the – she hasn't really grown Viognier before. Yeah. And I'm like, I only just started making it a few years ago yeah. and worked at a couple different sites. And, you know, let's try to do this together. And this is what I experienced when I asked this guy, this guy, or these these guys have grown it. And, yeah. you know, everybody seems to share – information but yeah the last thing i'm gonna do is walk in there and it's like well you know i got a fucking trophy for real uh, yeah. you know it's like yeah. it's just not gonna fly exactly and right. uh besides the fact that you know i'm a growing business and i need people to to work with me in the same way you know yeah i'm gonna pay slow <laughs> that's a choice you know i gotta like i'll, I'll pay you i promise mm-hmm. but you know mm-hmm. it's gonna we gotta work together in this yeah. you know and i think everybody because maybe it's a younger industry but it's the oldest you know there's certainly some old timers here you know but it's still sort of up and coming and under the radar in some ways you know i don't know i i have a different take on that i it's funny Possibly if you're looking in – depends which market you're really looking at. In New Zealand, I wouldn't say that it's, no. it's no, up and coming or no, any of that. I think it's established and strong. I would argue in Australia, it's established and strong. But if we start talking about China and, and places like that, yeah, but then you could probably put the argument together that the whole country is new and up and coming then because – Totally. It's, people, we get, we get really, you know, finicky – when we live in a place about how that place is perceived or, you know, even further when we like to break the place down even further into subregions and things like that, I think, yeah, some of the smarter guys that have been around here a lot longer than me have made that point to me a few times that, you know, Brand Hawks Bay needs to get strong before subregional Hawks Bay needs to I, even attempt to get strong. But then the Gimlet Gravels might be trying to do that differently. Who knows? Oh, they are. Uh, and I think to some success, obviously, mm-hmm. they've done a really – mostly because they've always had good, strong people involved mm-hmm. and they have great wines coming out of there. And, you know, it's a fucking awesome story and sight to talk about. You know, there's the visuals on it and everything. And when the, you've got soils that old, it's always a cool story. Yeah, right? and mm-hmm. all you have to do is dig a hole in the ground and, and any psalm in the world is going to be blown away by yeah. it. You know, it's just cool shit, you yeah. know. And uh, – and, we didn't bother with Cleavy. We just waited for a tree to fall over, and then we just kept it there. <laughs> um, but uh, talk about a beautiful site that is, uh, you know, I don't want to say easy to sell, but it's sellable. Is just that site out, you know, the winery out near the ocean, and I mean that's stuff Clearview? dreams are. Yeah, yeah, that's Tijuana is the stuff dreams are made of. You know? Yeah, you take people out there, and they're like, "What? You're on a vineyard, and the and the Cape is here, and the, yep. the actual Hawks Bay, yeah, you know." And, you know, we'll touch on Clearview. It is a cool story being Clearview's story as well. Um, You know, being no matter what, no matter who the people involved are, family-owned for its whole existence. Um, And, you know, to sort of have evolved 
and Tim will say this even from the start, accidentally, he didn't know when he bought that that he was going to plant grapes. It wasn't until he hit, well, he reckons he hit a Vitals number two vineyard sign and that sort of spurred him I've back seen into... That sign. Yeah, the signs in the winery. You know, spurred him to, to plant grapes again. And, you know, I'm just glad they planted Chardonnay because, geez, it works out there. Yeah. Mm. Those ocean breezes, huh? Very cooling breezes. We are degrees cooler out there than than you guys in the gravels and, and bridge park. Yeah, I, you know, I know, like you said, uh, especially when I go to the States, I see, you know, people, there are some Psalms maybe that know mm. of Giblet Gravels ahead of Hawke's Bay, but Hawke's Bay is like this new thing, you know what I mean, when yeah. I bring it there. But to bring it back to what you said before, regionality, I notice a huge degree difference when I bring my daughter to daycare in the morning, mm-hmm. every morning. Yeah. And sometimes it's cooler in town, but a lot of times it's just warmer and calmer. Yeah. Or out here, it's just so much more raw and yeah. windy and hot You've and the breezy. And stuff coming in the winter, you. it's colder. In the summer, mm-hmm. it's hotter. Yeah. You know, and so you know the sights all over. Uh, you know, it's and that's a ten minute drive. You know, it's yeah. like you know, it's crazy. And it is it is cool that where we are at Clearview because we've got this real. Well, it's, they call it the Tionga Pebbles. So it is, you know, very minimal topsoil over pebbles that go down to an old river bed. Um, and, you know, we've managed to get away nowadays with minimal irrigation, none on our old vine stuff, because they've all tapped into something deep enough now because of that loose pebbly stuff that we've got going on all the way through. Yeah, and it's sort of, you know, when a site produces a variety that you don't have to irrigate and then you don't have to add acid to and you don't have to add sugar to and you don't really have to add much to it yeah and the wine comes out expressive and from a place and seems to be fashionable for an extended period of time i would probably say that clearview chardonnay whether some people love it some people think it's 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 a bit big for them um but it's been a fashionable style for, you know, 25 years, which is, you know, pretty cool. Uh, I was certainly, you know, in the Bible when I arrived to Hawke's Bay in 2008. Yeah. It was like, you know, this is this is one of the iconic wines of the area. And uh, and that was before I even laid eyes on Tim. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's never been the same since. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, we got to rewind a second though. So you were yeah. at, uh, you applied for the Carrick job. I did. There? So yeah, got down cause I was working there. I was what they, what they called, um, vintage assistant winemaker. Um, and, um, Francis who got the job, he was in the vineyard at the time, but he's, he, he's the Martinborough guy. He's, yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah, he's so an awesome he, guy, yeah he'd, he'd been around Martinborough as a, as an assistant winemaker and stuff. He had way more experience than me. I was trying to fake it till I made it. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So then missed that one, went to Burgundy and worked at um, Domaine de Blair and Camille Giroud. And Sarah, my partner, was um, up in Alsace at, the name's going to, big biodynamic producer, super duper famous. It'll come back to me. Um, and then from there, we both went to Austria to FX Pischler, which was really cool. So you um, stayed in the off season through the year? No. No, no, we're in, we're in oh, the States double, for Christmas. Double, yeah. uh, double yeah. vintage kind of. Yeah. yeah. And so that was a big year. That was lots of countries. Zin Humbrecht was the one I was trying to think of. Because a lot of them, if you do, uh, I've never done a vintage in Europe. If you, mm-hmm. uh, but if you, uh, like I've 
tons of friends who've done vintage in Burgundy, and mm-hmm. even we have a mutual friend, Amy, who's there now. And a lot of times, yeah. you just you could be busy for six weeks, and that's it. Yeah. A month. Yeah. You know, that's all they want you for, and that's fine. That's and, why I had Austria backed up as well. Mm. Um, also, because the Wahal. I mean, who doesn't want to go there? Sure. We we were the first English pe- speaking people to work for F- FX Pichler, and it was quite cool because Franz Xavier, who's the dad FX, Franz Xavier, he um. I got along really well with him. I didn't speak much, say, German, Austrian, and he didn't speak German. much English. But we constantly gave it a go every day. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. They were, yeah they, no, better than that. They were fascinated by... Fastest loss. Yeah, they were fascinated by um, water. Like, if, it, if, you know, if it sprinkled, we'd stop because it was all about getting sugar high enough to make smaragd or which is the top end or Stanatal or, you know, whatever, fetish built. So, you know, I remember I finally plucked up the courage to, to try a bit of German and I said to the chef, which was FX Pichler, I said, in German, I said, the, the rain, I can't remember how to say it now, the rain, is it a, um, it's a problem. And he said, no, I said, the rain, is it coming? Or where is it or something? And my translation was awful. And he looked at me and said in English, the water is in the Danube, which is the river that runs right through. And he said, get to work. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved it. Yeah. He was really cool. Yeah. He wanted to, he painted pictures and he wanted to paint a picture on Sarah's vintage T-shirt, but only if she was wearing it. So I said, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's Europe. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, then where? Back, oh, from there. Okay. Um where do we go after that? Yeah, so then I got uh, a winemaking, well, a winemaker's job at uh, Napstein in the Clare Valley, and it is Napstein. And that the reason it's Napstein was it, PJ Shatter has just cleared this up for me last week. Actually, is because the Napsteins were part of the war, and they wanted to differentiate differentiate themselves when it all finished, and they didn't want to be Stein anymore, so they Stein, were Napsteins. Yeah. Um, and that was cool. So we were there four years, um, which was great. Got to learn lots about production winemaking and contract winemaking. And, uh, yeah, yeah, really cut your teeth as being the, the dude. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I still had, yeah, got given lots of different bits of responsibilities and, you know, ended up sort of, yeah, looking after lots in the cellar and, um, it was, it was an interesting. Working for a corporate being lion is quite tricky. You learn a lot about yourself. You're constantly managing um, your behaviours against the, the 10 behaviours and things like that. There's a lot of looking at how other people see you and how you portray yourself, which I'd never had before. Yeah. Um, you know, when all of a sudden you sit down and you, you're trying to get a pay rise and it's like, no, well, you, you are three of your, your co-workers have said you don't seek to understand before you're understood. And you're like, <laughs> Goddamn, co-workers. Just 10 grand pay rise. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this little uh, form that they yeah. filled out was going to come yeah. back to haunt me. So then you've got to go back and have a look at it and readdress how, you, you know, you talk to people and are perceived and whatever. And it's good, you know, that sort of stuff's good. So then that has then, well, from there, I'll tell you the story about how I met Tim. Tim's daughter Katie was the winemaker at Killer Canoon. Um, 
in Clare and Tim moved over to, or came over to Pat Katie's house up with her to move her back to New Zealand. Uh, my wife and Katie are great friends and we have kids the same age. So Katie was heavily pregnant. Sarah was heavily pregnant. Tim came around for dinner. So he had a designated driver. I'd been fishing all day and caught heaps of squid. Ended up having this massive cookout. Got heinously drunk. No. Uh, oh no. Really? Yeah. Really? And I was ethically drunk. Okay. All right. Um, if you say so. And I sort of said to him, look, we're trying to move back to New Zealand, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I've got a winemaker. He's awesome. Go away sort of thing. And I said, great. <laughs> and so we were over visiting Sarah's granddad that Christmas. Um, and we caught up with Katie. And Katie said, oh, dad's winemaker just left inside. Rang Tim and made an appointment the next day and just said, you know, can you show me around the vineyard? Halfway through the tour, I stopped and said, so, Tim, it's not cut, it's, you know, not beat around the bush. I want to apply for the job. And then you sort of had a chat. A couple of hours later, we had left and we're off on the way to Taupo. By the time I got to Taupo, I had a phone, missed call on my phone saying it was mine. Nice. So, yeah, had to go home, pack up our shit, took a month and we were back straight day 2015. Yeah, mm. right into it. Yeah, it was right into it. We had lots of bottlings and stuff, which... Um, is the worst which, part, but it's actually you can learn a lot because yeah, it's, it's all done at that point. You know, it is all done at that point. I mean, um, you can do a few things, but yeah. And I wasn't trying to. I had a little tap on the the wrist from um, from people that had worked there before, saying, "Don't you know? Don't change the style. Or don't change anything, sort of thing." And you know, I I took that on board. Um, and so yeah, I didn't really touch too much. Going to bottle with those 14s. That was the Reserve Chardonnay and, and Beachhead Chardonnay at that time. But we had a lot of other things going on. You know, had to get to know a new winery and uh, it was quite cluttered. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, outside of that, I can't imagine. First of all, it's an older winery. You guys yeah. do what? 12, 15 different wines or something? I don't even know. Different wines, about yeah. 27. 27 different wines, yeah. and so you're talking a lot of little tanks and barrels and lots, yeah. and again, it's an, it's probably a winery that's been built over the years, not like they just arrived and I built think a winery. I look at it more as evolution, not yeah. being built. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, so this thing, oh, we'll just put that tank over there for now, and then it stayed there for seven years, you know, yeah. by the time you got there. So we've... Outside of the wines, just to do with the setup, we've changed a lot in the last two and a half years. There's no, yeah, if you if you went, we've put a lot of new tanks in and things as well, but if you went there, it wouldn't look the same anymore. Um, and that was just, you know, it's, it's like when, you know, you get a new house or something like that, you always want to just put your, you know, your own touches to it so that it's easier and more functional for you, and it was the same sort of thing. Um, now, you have... Uh a great assistant winemaker? Yeah, Rob. Rob. He's awesome. I mean, and you walked into him just being there? Yeah, Rob started the month before me. I mean, that guy, I went to school with him, and he yeah. couldn't be, first of all, a nicer guy, but second of all, more. he's passionate, he's cool. Like, I can't imagine just yeah. like, what, I get this guy too? Yeah. You know, yeah. along with these vines and everything else? Yeah, Rob is, Rob is absolutely awesome. And, you know, he was a bit skeptical of me at the start, which is good, you know, skepticism's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. He sort of you know he's he's a real i dotter and t crosser and he wouldn't mind me saying that he um no i know he's very yeah. thoughtful totally. um 
whereas I'm a bit more intuitive. And so we've worked really well together. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster, him getting used to my way of, you know, doing things on feeling and doing things because that's the way that the wine is progressing, not really for necessarily the most textbook reasons, but, you know, just trust me and see. And it's been good, you know. Yeah, I think he's got a, I mean, I've never worked with him, but just from conversations and everything, I think he's got, an, uh, you know, he's got a, a clearly a huge uh, technical yeah. side to him that's very efficient. And yeah, he's got, but he's also somebody who's really passionate about wine. Like he yeah. loves wine and he, yeah. got, like he goes to tastings and, you know, he's always interested like, Hey, what do you, you know, what do you got? You know, yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. So that, that's, that's good to work with somebody like that because um i've worked with people who aren't like that. yeah yeah me too <laughs> you know i've worked with you know i've the the last situation uh, paratoa was probably a dream i worked with a guy who was you know the night it's similar nice guy yeah. but like just super technical awesome at want making great wines you yeah know? so uh and probably what i needed because i'm a bit more you know of a dreamer and heady you know yeah but uh yeah the cool thing about Rob that people don't know is he's an amazing table tennis player. Really? Yeah. Oh. yeah. And, you know, that's probably... He's probably too nice a guy to hustle me out of some money, though. Well, no, we hustled, we hustled the second row rep the other week. It's quite funny. Got <laughs> some half-priced barrels out of him. <laughs> Play it for uh, an extra toast or something? No, right? no better than that. <laughs> he lost 21-5. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. So, um, well, let, let's go into uh, there's Chardonnay, obviously. Yeah, of course. What else are you making it a clear vineyard? Yeah, okay. So, and where are these vineyards? Because I actually, to be honest, I don't know where all the vineyards are. So about. the only stuff we're getting outside of our little backyard, um, and I will, will, will call Hamawana and Tiawonga that backyard, yep. is a little bit of Cab Sav from... Out here, which goes into our, our olive block. Out and here, Bridge Pa, or out here, no, Gimlet Gravels. Gimlet Gravels, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is from the Pask Vineyard there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, well, we, we're this year getting some um, Pinot from Escarpment down in Martinborough, oh, which will be quite fun. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I saw Hugh last week in Auckland. It was quite cool to I catch up with Hugh. him. I love Hugh. i got to talk to him. I'm going down next week, and I'm going to talk to Janine. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, shit. I saw Janine last week, too. Uh, yeah. I, I, I want to talk to, uh, I mean, shit, I'd love to talk to Larry at some point. Yeah. He's a bit of an epic dude. Yeah. And such a, <laughs> such a nice guy, too. He's epic. But, yeah. I feel like I want to barbecue with Larry. You know, yeah, yeah, Just totally. sit out and hang out with that guy. You he's, know? He's, he's very funny. Because, I mean, him and Tim go back a long way. Um, so they always pop in when they're up here, him and Hugh. And, yeah, it's always a long lunch. It's always quite sure. fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've had a, a long love for – I knew Hugh a little bit when he was up this way. And then I just would drop into escarpment. A lot yeah. when I'm down there, you yeah. know, at least once a year or something to see him and taste and hang out and often have brought friends and other winemakers through. And, uh, yeah, I think one of the things that Larry said to me that I really liked when I saw him at Pinot 17, which we didn't really, we don't know each other. I know Hugh, you right. know, and I never would even see Larry when I'd go there yeah. is that, uh, it's kind of refreshing to hear is I really like Atarangi wines, right? Right. I got to decant them, and they're on a way other spectrum than escarpment wines. And I love escarpment peanuts, right. but they're really different. And he said to me, 
he goes, and he was just asking about what I liked and everything. And he goes, you know, it's funny. It's like I could never make the wines that Helen makes. Yeah. And she probably couldn't make the wines that I make. We're just different in that way. And you're talking about two of the yeah. juggernauts of Pinot Noir yeah. in the world, you know, yeah. really. And it's a good attitude that he has about it. But they are really different, those, those styles. You know, I brought He's, that up. Well, and talking to Hugh the other day, it's all about focus and structure for those boys so you know and that's a cool way to look at it's it's not about necessarily ripeness or it's not they do like ripe but it's not necessarily about flavor to as much as it is about longevity and structure and that's a that's a a novel and awesome approach to winemaking well there there's some some beasts there we i've done probably four over the years like new zealand tastings with napa winemakers and Mm kind of wine geeks or whatever some lawyers who have awesome sellers and stuff who wanted to attend and uh three times the coupe took out top wine of the whole like every flight you know i kind of had everybody everybody vote and this and that but that being said uh after the tasting on two occasions we went back to atarangi and went shit we if you would have decanted that for two hours before, because <laughs> yeah. they were pretty young too, you know, you're only yep. talking about like wines that were a few years old yep. anyway. Yep. Um, but that's pretty cool. You get to make some Pinot. Yeah. Well, this year, uh, we actually made some Pinot last year from Tia Wonga, which is, I, I really like it. It's, yeah, well, well, uh, it's a hundred percent whole bunch, but it's really light and it's sort of a summer put in the fridge sort of wine. I always thought that, um, and I don't know about Tijuana fruit because maybe there's that cooling effect out there, kind of like there is in um, Santa Barbara or something, yeah. you know, with uh, which I've tasted some some pretty good Pinots from there, but certainly Chardonnay from that area. Yeah. Um, but I've always thought with Hawks Bay Pinot, and maybe this is something to do with the old school mentality, is that it could use a lot more whole bunch for character. You know, they tend to be. Sort of darker and not as... Uh, for me with Pinot, it's all about just babying it the whole way along. Yeah. And obviously, you need to get ripened and do anything else you would need to do with fruit. But yeah. as far as winemaking, you need to baby it the whole way along. But somewhere in each phase, make sure there's character happening. Yeah. And Which that, I think I think our wine really does have... Oh, that was in the Hawke's Bay wine show the other day. And apparently, the chairman did feel that the Pinots were a little <laughs> weak. So... <laughs> I, I haven't heard the speech. But I heard the speech. I, the speech is legend. Yeah, I heard the speech. And, and you know, hey, I, I respect Rob for speaking his mind, you know. Definitely, apparently, you hit it out of the park. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no complaints from Clearview because you guys did really well on Tuesday night. So, um, Yeah, we did. We did. We took the Chardonnay Trophy last year as well, which was quite cool. Um, so to get it two years in a row is fun. Shows that that little patch of land out there can do Chardonnay for Hawke's Bay really well. Um, but yeah, I was quite happy with the commercial red trophy, yeah, to be that's honest. A good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, whatever. It's our, that's our most entry level of the reds. So, what's the. In brackets is the cheapest. What's the. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's, <laughs> what's the uh, standards for the commercial red? I don't even know. I think it's a quantity thing of about seven, with, within reason, 7,000 litres. Yep. A, and we just bottled, so we're all over that with that blend. Mm. Good, mm. sell it out. 
Well, I don't know. Is a commercial red trophy going to sell your wine for you? I don't know. <laughs> Probably just the price point's going to sell it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't, we haven't right. had too much trouble. So, what are, what so are Merlot, straight Cab Franc. These are um, all out in Tijuana. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Malbec, which we had a look at the other day. That was um, a weird tasting. Yeah, that's a weird tasting. <laughs> um, Sav Gris, which we're making in a an orange wine style with no additions. Didn't make one in 17. It was a vintage not for making that sort of wine. Um, Semillon, Savion Blanc, Gavette's Tramina, Pinot Gris. Semillon, Sav together? No. No? Just straight no. Semillon? Yeah. And try to age it or is it out the door pretty quick? No, it's, it definitely ages really well. It's barrel fermented. Often gets some new oak as well. Um Less nowadays, they used to put it through 100% new oak. I haven't done that. Yeah. Sort of maybe a three-year-old barrel or something like that. And is that all sold through the tasting room? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's good to know people are keen for that kind of stuff, you know, or is it just the... We get really eclectic people with really strong views on Semyon come through, hey? Okay. And (laughs) they become customers for life. So, you know, if we probably looked at our... 1200 bottle a year semi-on make and who's buying that's 100 cases who's buying that it's probably the same people year in year out yeah well maybe there's new ones who knows but i mean the bulk of what we do is chardonnay in tons it's almost half now um it's grown exponentially each year so we're grown by more than 30 percent on year on year um since 2015 and rosé is another one, and we've grown that by 300% <laughs> since 2015. No, rosé's popular right now? It's always been popular with Clearview. I mean, I, it's funny that, that Black Reef blush is sort of a really iridescent colour, and it resonates with some people really well. Um, I can remember drinking early in my Hawks Bay tenure, yeah. drinking uh, Clearview rosé, mm-hmm. like as one of the go-to... I think it suits the branding too, you know? It just looks Probably. cool with the label. I don't know. Yeah. You know? And then you put it in the glass and it's so pink that, yeah. <laughs> that people just go, wow. Mm. And that's, you know, to Tim's credit, we, I never want to get accused of changing the style at Clearview, but we might have pulled it back a tiny little, little bit um, with some of the Chardonnays and some of the red wine making, maybe a little bit. Um, but that pink rosé just suits what his passion with the wines are to a T, which is, um, you know, give the people everything, give give them power, give them, you know, colour, give them aromatics, give it all. Um, and, you know, that's resonated, you know, it seems to be with the rosé market in Hawke's Bay and, and maybe in Wellington, yeah, because we're, we're, we're selling a lot of it. So, yeah. yeah. No, it makes sense. Auckland, I would think, too, or? Starting in Auckland, we changed representation in Auckland about 12 months ago. So we've got a sole rep up there now, um, and that's going really well. And Nigel, yeah, he's making inroads with that with that rosé for sure. Yeah. No, it's just really good to hear um, the other night when they won those awards that, you know, we planted some of these vines ourselves and yep. we're still involved and, you know, doing that. And it's... Need some new stories though, eh? We heard that same story last year. <laughs> oh, I, w- I wasn't there. But uh, well, I'd say, you know, with uh, Tim at the helm, there's not a lack of story or anything like that, you know, which is great. It's good, it's good to have that um, 
a figure, you know, as behind that and a face for the brand and everything, you know. It is absolutely essential. Very important yeah. to our brand. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you said something to me like, uh, you know, I think it was you that said he was going to go out to the tasting room and the difference between whether if he goes out and if he doesn't, mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, we don't have to say the number value now, but it was yeah. in the thousands. Yeah, for, and it uh, can be that way, especially with certain, you know, and that's, that's our struggle as a brand being Clearview is to, you know, with Tim, you know, he's, he's however old he is and is still super passionate about the brand and people are super, they resonate with him so much. It's about keeping that legacy going forward. Um, and, you know, we're not isolated in that, um, in that need. There's lots of brands that go through this, but it's, it's something that, you know, we, yeah, we, we, we are conscious of because Tim is awesome at doing those face to face things and everybody knows him. He's such a, a an entity in Hawke's Bay that, that yeah, you can't, you can't just ignore. No. Mm. And what about, uh, I, Helmer? I poured, yep. yeah, it, well, I, I was just gonna say, I poured some of your wine at a masterclass in Philadelphia. Oh yeah. Yep. With uh, NZ wine navigator. Uh, yep. And, uh, that they sent me their whole portfolio and I was like, yep, I'll take some of that Syrah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they had Chardonnay there, but. Well, our reserve Chardonnay is there, but we, we don't do much with them. It's little bits here and there. Uh, I don't, I, it, maybe one of the other Reds was there, but I don't remember. But certainly we hopped on the Syrah and it mm. did really well that day, along with all the Syrahs did great. Um, you know, which that varietal in Hawke's Bay seems special it seems like mm -hmm. psalms can get their head around it in other countries you know if i try to put a red blend they might say this one's really good and this one's good and this okay they're a little different but uh it was you know particularly during you know if i just took that class on its own but i've been going to america for 10 years and yep. pouring wines from yep. hawks bay and martin bro pino uh pino's easy you know yep. i mean our price point is a little tougher and I'm not, but they mm -hmm. can get their head around it and they go, wow, this is really good. And mm -hmm. that's, that's that there's less of a pushback for that. They get it. Sauvignon Blanc Pinot Noir from New Zealand. Yeah. Syrah is like this easy transition. It's a tiny bit of the market, but it's like, it is tiny. And wasn't there a bit of backlash amongst sommeliers in the U S around Syrah? Just Aussie Shiraz. Is that right? Just Aussie Shiraz really. So it's not Roan and it's not us. And no, it's not Roan. It's not in New Zealand. It's from Australia. I know. Well, you know, Yellowtails, what's wrong? I mean, it's the cliche, exactly right. but, you know, I had, I mean, I had friends like my, one of my flatmates who now actually runs a really good restaurant in Philadelphia called James. At the time, he was a guy like me who was like kind of South Philly Italian um, heritage yeah. grew up with probably a grandfather that made a bit of wine so it was always wine around and, yeah you know just appreciated good wine didn't quite know brand you know brands or this and that, yeah. or, or sorry regions or anything yeah. but maybe knew a few brands it's not we were kind of getting into wine at the same time and then i started going to school and like we kind of blew past them but he is somebody who really likes wine mm -hmm. and really knows beers and everything and i remember him saying to me like and this is in 
the early mid two thousands when uh, Shiraz was just like exploding. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I don't know what happened. Like, this is somebody who didn't even know that much about wine. He's like, I used to buy Yellowtail and it was really good and over delivered, and it was like, no, it just doesn't taste like anything, and it's sweet and this and that. And it's like, well, what do you think happened, man? <laughs> like, you can't Every, make- everybody bought it. <laughs> And then it got weird. <laughs> and then it, it, yeah, it just got weird. Um, so for somebody at that level to be anti yeah. and be like, I'm done with that shit, you know, you can only imagine what some of the Psalms are doing. Now, and I even had a buddy who's a Psalm who was working for in Philly, working on like this. It was called like, it was a PR campaign called like Defend Australia. Yeah. And they were really trying to champion because there's amazing wines coming out of there. There certainly and is. And you thank, ta- thank God for China and their domestic market. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been a nightmare. Yeah, I, I guess it probably would have. There is lots of cool wines coming out of Aussie. You touched on Grenache before. But did you see this week Penfolds released the G3? Yeah, so it's a 3,000-hour wine. 3,000. Yeah. So if it goes to 3.5, is it going to be the G3.5? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did they name it for the three? I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea, but I just thought it was a bit bit close to home. Three Gs. <laughs> well, they, um, you know, they can they can kind of do it. Those guys, if anybody. It's pretty out there thing, though. What they blended nine, ten, and fourteen to make it, and called it a non vintage. Well, I th- yeah, and I think that they, uh, you know, what's what they've done a great job of over the years is, you know, they take old vintages and top them and yeah. Really, really uh, take care of their high-end customers that yeah. way and quality control and all that. Uh, I'm guessing they probably did some stuff with AWI and closures and, and that as well. Oh, uh, everybody did. Yeah, so yeah. they um, – yeah, I mean, who – shit, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be those guys. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. 3000 bucks. I know. Though. It's just crazy. It's <laughs> crazy. Thousand. But when I go to, you know, Australia, it's like, there's amazing wa- Australian wines all over the wine lists. Yeah. You know? but Unfortunately, that, when I go to wine shops in Australia, though, it's, it can be a bit dismal unless you get right outside the city. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Know? That's the thing, though, getting back to Hawke's Bay. That's the thing that, you know, Hawke's Bay is starting to do much better. It seems like that everybody's sort of taking the place really seriously, you know, and I've noticed it in the last two years you would have seen it in the yeah exactly in the only two years that you've been yeah, here three almost three years imagine yeah. I've, this would be 10 years coming up for me yeah and i've just yeah it's i i think what's really cool for me and uh you would have experienced this as well because you're new to the region and you've got your own talent and you're bringing this whole other thing to the to the game too is there's this really combination of kind of the old guard, for lack of a better term, mm. uh, and uh, friends of mine like Rod and Tony and stuff like that. Guys, do they like getting it. called that? Yeah, do they? Uh, I don't know. I just break <laughs> their balls. I'll call it right <laughs> to them anyway. Um, but they're kind of like on the slightly progressive side of the old, you know, of that older regime. But I don't know. Yeah. Rod's not that old anyway. I don't. Tony's not that old. Maybe Tony's a little older. <laughs> but. Uh, and then these expats and sort of up and coming youngish, younger winemakers uh, of this, uh, and I kind of feel like Rod and Tony now are crossing into that because they've started these new projects. Yeah, you know, and those two guys are perfect examples of add this like second vibrancy to and made a bunch of the other traditional producers like turn their head and go like, oh shit, this is going to be a force to reckon with, and it's going to take a few years, but it's coming. Yeah. And uh, I've watched it 
really progressed. I mean, there was it was pretty conservative even when I got here in 20, 2008. Like, yeah. they're just a couple of the small guys that died off. And, it, you know, there's GFC. And it was like, you know, kind of went back to, you know, stock standard. Good producers and everything. But, you know, look who was winning all, a lot of the awards the other night. A Pinot Ricard winery. You yep. know, Villa Maria winery. Yep. You know, they're still at the top of their game. But that's the thing. I mean, it depends what you're chasing. If you're chasing wine show results or if you're chasing critical review or if you're just chasing customers, it's what you're doing really, Villa does it really well, is really segments the market that way. Yeah. But for smaller producers, like we're only small. We're, we're definitely in that small band. Um well, I'm, I'm gonna. Can I speak for Clearview in a second? Yeah. And I'm not really speaking for Clearview, but yeah. if I was Clearview and I submitted to I don't know Robert Parker or something like that, yeah. and I didn't get a good review, I'd be like, "Well, fuck you! I sold all my wine," you know. And that's our problem. You we know? don't export. We're ninety eight and a half percent domestically sold. That's great. And we just don't have enough. Like we're constantly looking for more suitable vineyards for Chardonnay, especially. Um, so if anyone out there has any, um, <laughs> good luck. Why do you think I'm making Viognier? <laughs> um, that was actually one of our first conversations. Was like in 2015 or yeah. was it 16? No, it was 16. You're like, oh man, I'm gonna find you some Chardonnay. Yeah. And I was like, meanwhile, you work at Clearview. If you come across some good Chardonnay, you're gonna take it. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna make Viognier. It's okay. Yeah. You know. Uh, and to be honest, for export, it's probably a good strategy for me. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to yeah, into, into Hawks Bay, there is this kind of blend of of things going on, and we it's good we have the the establishment mm-hmm. to to work mm-hmm. on, and and uh, you know, and then there's this or there's all these other alternative things going on. This discussion know? about the, the the new generation and the new wave and stuff like that, like I, you know, Tony just and, me, really. Tony and <laughs> Tony and Rod and people that have done it all before, I think, are a bit excused from this conversation because they're going to make awesome wines regardless. Yeah. But for the younger ones, we, we touched on it before where you and I talked, you asked me the question about 35 minutes ago, how did you know that you were ready to take the next step, right? And that's the whole thing. When you're trying to be the next generation of winemakers in any place, You've got to think about what you're really trying to change and what you're really trying to do. Are you, are you trying to reinvent the wheel? Are you going to go down that organic path, biodynamic path? Are you going to try and push the boundaries with skin fermentations and things like that? Or do you really just like the classics? And you're not really trying to reinvent the wheel. You're just trying to bring your own take on that wheel. And that's okay too. And I think all of us totally. younger generation winemakers need to remember that it doesn't have to be all way left of center it can be just oh you know the reinvention might be through your marketing strategy or whatever it might be absolutely um it doesn't need to be going like throwing the history out the window and and showing them that they've done it wrong yeah i mean i i don't think anything i'm doing is too weird you know i mean i like to push it a little bit with a bit of whole bunch in my pinot mm-hmm. and uh, do some, you know, yeah. I only make Viognier and Malbec because I can't get any Syrah and Chardonnay. <laughs> so that's what yeah, I do. Malbec's awesome. Malbec, Malbec yeah. is, is cool. Quite and, there uh, with that. Um, I, 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 
we're having fun with that one. But you know, making Hawkspace savvy is half my production. To, yeah, you know, to going to export and everything. So, but yeah, I think what you say is right because we do have, you know, some other up and coming friends who. Uh, you know, Merlot, like, you know, our buddy Bryce loves Merlot. And I'm like, good for you. Good, dude. Champion Merlot. We need some younger producers making Merlot. We got a shit ton of it around here. Yep. And we need somebody to make really good Merlot. My my wife loves Merlot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I honestly still think that Merlot suffered from that silly California movie. Absolutely. Ex- 10 years ago. And that's craziness. I like, think apparently we, it's a little bit, um, the numbers are actually showing... That it's on an uptick again. Is that right? In the States, definitely. Good. Um, so. Because uh, that's that's right. Like in Hawke's Bay, Merlot does really well. It ticks the boxes. It gets ripe and it, you know, performs well in most vintages. And it's reasonably bulletproof. I think maybe 2016 might have been a bit tricky and obviously 17 was for some areas. Um but yeah, Merlot in Hawke's Bay really does work. I mean, it might be best in the world in Merlot. I don't know. I mean, I can't. I, yeah, what, what, like year in year out, you know, well, as a region, you know. But are there that many straight Merlots out there, or are we still all just blending everything? That's. Uh, I think almost every established producer does some at one level or another. Righto. Does some straight Merlot. Mm. Because it's almost just too easy to do and they have enough of it planted. And yeah. some people decide we're going to, you know, call it Merlot and there's, you know, 5% Franc in it or something yeah. like that, which is kind of a cool strategy. Um, but, yeah. you know, I think more and more people are putting Cab Franc on their label and everything as well. Or Cab Sav. Um, but, yeah, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon is it's got its own marketing cachet. So to blend, even if you put 5%, you can put it on, put it on the label and it's going to help yep. you sell more. Yeah. It was funny. I was doing the 2015 Merlot and Cabernet straight and blends at the, um, Air New Zealand wine awards last week. And one of the international judges turned around to me and Phil from tomato was on the panel as well. He was one of the leads and I was mm-hmm. polishing glasses. Um, and he said to me, well, the international judge said to all of us, but is there a market for this? You know, is this selling? And Phil <laughs> turned around and said, oh, I won't say how many cases, but he turned around and said, yeah, we're selling this many thousand cases a year and it sells out on release. And, and you know, the international judges went, wow. And I said, yeah, you know, not quite to Phil's level, but, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it's ticking along much better than I would have thought having moved here. It's, yeah, people are embracing those blended red of those sort of famous five um, varieties really well, which is, yeah, which is cool. I, I think, you know, in, you know, to, nobody wants to talk about supermarkets, but that's mm-hmm. one wine bars, restaurants that, you know, they're going to be on wine lists. Yeah. They're going to be good. Yeah. They're going to get sold. Yeah. They're the local drop and they deliver like yep. we said every year. Yep. So they're just going to keep moving. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I like Merlot. I drink them, drink them a lot. So, yeah, and it, you know, <laughs> I think could we Tim, call it mid climate Pinot? That's what we- <laughs> <laughs> I think Tim might have gone a bit far in his speech the other night too. Apparently about Merlot and Syrah, but yeah, Merlot, yeah, he Merlot. did say something awesome about that. <laughs> no, and Bryce awesome. was at our table like ah, <laughs> yeah. 
Merlot, um, yeah, I mean, Hawke's Bay wouldn't be here if it wasn't for varieties like that, that's for sure. It's definitely been a stalwart. You know, reading the history from the couple of books that have come out of Hawke's Bay in the last couple of years, it's been great actually for me reading those books and looking back through the, the characters of, you know, the last 20 or 30 years. Merlot really did shape it. And then, you know, the newcomers being Syrah and Chardonnay to a lesser extent, it's been around the whole time, but it really wasn't in vogue for all of that time, like probably Merlot and some of the other Bordeaux varieties were. Yeah. So what's next? Uh, Hawks or uh, Clearview and uh, well, just, just try Clearview. to get, get through. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like anything new on the, you know, no, you mentioned I mean, the Pinot, that's one thing. Yeah, so... Probably trying to pair, well, <laughs> double-edged sword, trying to pair back how many wines we make. But at the same time, um, we've got Riesling planted at the moment, which is quite cool. You know. That does well out in t Yeah, yeah well, that beach house, as you mentioned, Bryce has done very well at different shows. And, you know, I've, I've tried it over the last two years and, and really quite enjoyed it. They, they seem to feel they've got the recipe dialed, so I look forward to my Riesling being ready. Cool. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks. We just uh, crushed over an hour. That was too easy. Uh, Thanks for doing it. And uh, I think we also polished off a bottle of Chardonnay. We did. Cheers. Matt, I think we could have talked for another hour. Probably ask him to co-host. I mean, no surprise, uh, an Aussie and an American can babble on for so long. But uh, now nah, he's a great guy. It was good to talk to him, and I really appreciate him sitting down to, to chat with me. Uh, yeah, we're going to keep going. We've got another great podcast next week from a, a nice winemaker named Janine Rickards down in Martinboro. So stay tuned for that. Uh, once again, we're sponsored by decibelwines.com, and we've got a new wine coming out under a new range called Junta, and this will be the Malbec Nouveau. We're doing a party at, uh, for those of you in the Hawke's Bay area, we're doing a party at Bare Knuckle Barbecue on Thursday, November 16th, which is International Nouveau Wine Day. Uh, being a little cheeky with not quite doing a uh, Beaujolais Nouveau, but a Malbec Nouveau. And that's going to be at Bare Knuckle Barbecue. Jimmy and Chef Jonathan are doing uh, wonders there with that great menu. Uh, we're just going to have a fun day, do a bunch of specials, uh, 4 to 8 o'clock uh, on a Thursday afternoon, November 16th. Can't beat it. Should be fun. We'll have all kinds of ridiculous specials. Uh, this Nouveau wine is going to be priced... Uh, for the user, very user-friendly. Summer Red should be a lot of fun, so come on down, check out. For those of you who haven't been down to Bare Knuckle Barbecue, it's a really cool spot, really unique place to hang. Uh, Pretty family-friendly, too, so bring bring down them kids. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I'm off to Australia. I'll see you guys uh, across the ditch. Cheers.